0: Okay, Parsha's uh, and for such a big parsha, honestly, not so much really going on. Uh in the Parsha, Kosh Barko takes a census of Bnei Israel. Uh, we learn basically how the Jews encamped, right, in the with the Degalim, the with the, the ways in the, they were surrounded the Mishkan. Um, we learn that the Revi- that the Levim replaced the firstborn, and we see that the Levim are counted separately from Am Yisrael. Uh, and that's basically it. So we're gonna do what we can um in the short time that we have. Um, and, uh, you know, also very interesting that, you know, Chazal, write the Parshish Bamibar is always before, uh, Shavuot. So we'll have to talk about that, why exactly, uh, that is true. So first off, let's, let's grab one of the flags, um, and just talk about, and uh, talk about that. Ruven's flag, um, is actually, uh, the Dudaim, I mean, we don't see this in the puzzle actually. The Chazal don't actually, the Puzzle doesn't actually say what, uh, was on each flag, but the Ramban, part right, and the, the majoshim right, fill us in. Uh, some of the midrashim give colors, which is actually very cool. Uh, but the, the, basically, the Ramban points out that Ruvain's flag was the Dudaim. Right? It was the Dudaim. Now, if you're not familiar with the reference, so that's a reference to uh, in Sefer Ruvain, who was young at the time, according to uh, all accounts. Right, the Sforno writes that he was like five or six. So he saw that his mother had stopped giving birth. Right, his mother Leah. Uh, so he picked some flowers called the Dudaim, which some sort of pregnancy uh, I don't know enhancers or whatever uh and um and gave him to his mother and Rachel who, who was struggling to have kids herself right she basically bought the flowers in exchange with the knight from Yaakov, and on that night Leah ended up conceiving uh Yisachar. and that that was that was basically uh the story of the diadim now the question is obviously why in the world is that significant enough to put it on Reuven's flag right i would have expected it to be something to do with being with the firstborn or something like that oh yes in mean, fact lost the firstborn he wasn't actually didn't get the Bahora, right? That went to Yosef. But the do diem seems like very, very random, kind of inconsequential story. Why would that be put on Reuven's flag as like his family emblem? So I think to answer that question, right, you need to think about that episode not from Leah or Rachel's point of view, but from Reuven's. Right? Again, think about it. You're you're, you're a kid. You go out. He goes out of his way to get his mother a gift, and and. Because yeah, ostensibly, right, he he can tell that she's upset, right? She sees that, you know, she wanted to have more kids or whatever it is, and she's, a, you know, she's sad. So she, he goes out of his way right, to get her a gift, right? Get these dudayim, And what does Leah do? She turns around and sells it to Rachel. Now I don't know about you, but if I got my mom a gift and she turned it around and gave it to you know her sister or friend or whatever, I'd be kind of insulted. <laughs> like my wife just got uh, just got my mom a Mother's Day gift. It's a, it was a little mug. It said, this is a Mother's Day gift from your son bought by your daughter-in-law, which is perfect. You know, it was totally perfect. Um, and now, if I saw that on, in, in my aunt's kitchen, you know, I'd be a little insulted. Not that I, obviously not really, but like, it, it would rub me the wrong way. But what do we see? We don't see anything from Ruvain. Ruvain doesn't say a word, right? There's no there's no response in the Chumash. There's no response in the Chazal. He's 100% fine. He right? doesn't complain at all. So that, I think, if... If you really think about it, is Ruvain's kind of shining uh mida, right? At the end of Parjis Vayechi as well, right? When Yaakov takes the birthright from Ruvain in front of all his brothers, right? He gives, you know, he criticizes his actions, etc. Uh, he is silent. He does he doesn't get the kingship, he doesn't get the kahuna, he doesn't get the firstborn, but he said he doesn't say anything, right? He doesn't 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 respond. And this is Ruvain's uh godless, I would argue, that he was someone who was able to accept, right, the the decrees of Akash baruch or, or whatever, without complaints, right? He was happy with what he had. Um, now, there is one problem with this idea, and you're probably thinking about it and maybe screaming at your phone. Right? What happened with Ruvain uh, and Bilhah? Right? The story in Parshish Vahyishalach, that long story short, when Rachel dies, right, Yaakov moves in with Bilhah, who, who was Rachel's maidservant, and, and Ruvain, I just used the, the Gemara's version in Shabbos, right, moves moves Yaakov's bed into his mother's tent. Right, He was upset right, that Leah right, had been slighted, had been assaulted, so he moves Yaakov's bed into... Uh, into Leah's tent and that's actually what caused him, that's what Yaakov criticized him at, in Parshas Vayechi and caused him to lose uh, the Bahora. Now, that's not sitting back and just accepting the Psak, Right. So, why, what, what, what happened to Ruvain's ability to be Mivatar, just to sit back and be like, okay, this is what, what Akash Baruchah wants, this is what Yaakov wants, my father, etc. So, what, uh, you know, what happened there? So, my brother, Ari, made, uh, made you know, the obvious distinction, which I honestly hadn't thought about, and that in the case of the Dudoyim, and in the case with the birthright, and the kuna, and, and the kingship, that's Ruvain dealing with his own kavod. But in the case of Yaakov's bed, right, that in that scenario, Ruvain is dealing with his mother's. Right as my brother, my brother pointed out, for for his own kavod, Ruvain is is ready to yield. He's ready to stay, He doesn't. He's not self serving. He accepts whatever. Fine, no problem. But he comes to someone else's kavod. Right, so that Ruvain is not ready to give up. Right, he's, that he's going to fight and he's going to you know do things perhaps a little bit impetuously uh, to make sure that other people get the kavod, uh that they deserve. Now, yes, in that, ya- that Yaakov criticized Ruvain for that for that action. Uh, but the Gemara Shabbos, as we mentioned in Gemara and Daf nun- Nunhei, it says that it wasn't necessarily appropriate, inappropriate, what Ruvain did, right? It gives the Gemara there, says, anybody who says that Ruvain sinned, right, is making a mistake. That's the puzzle immediately afterwards, that Yaakov's Kids were 12, and obviously we know Yaakov had 12 kids, so the Gemara says, all of them were equal, right? all of them were on the same level, that Reuven had not sinned by that action. Now, So so that wasn't necessarily inappropriate, what he did. right? Yaakov fell for whatever reason. The impetuousness was a problem for the birthright and, and being a leader, uh, but the action in and of itself was not a hate perhaps, because Reuven was looking out for for his mother's kavod. And, and that was Reuven's ability uh, to kind of like analyze and see who who needs to be not stepped on and then in terms of his own cover right then he was able to kind of step back right and uh, and be humble and, and you know not kind of like uh, be arrogant and step in you know and try and uh, you know push people around for his own cover okay and that perhaps is is, is a, is a pr- appropriate flag emblem, em- emblem right because if someone has that me that characteristic of being humble and accepting whatever happens and then at the same time being able to to see yeah, the, and, and protest when someone else is insulted, Right, and kind of step up for other people, right? That's obviously, uh, you know, meadows that, w- that we can embody. Okay. Um, partials now, partials by we have to talk about obviously, uh, the counting, uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, partials by midbar is always before shavuos, right? Always before shavuos, and the ter- and why is that? Why? So, there are many, many, several reasons. I don't want to say many, many, but at least several reasons that I saw. Um, uh, let's let's start with this. The Torah says, right, Ela told us right? that's how it starts off. Paragimel starts listing the lineage of Aaron, right? Aaron's kids, uh, the Levium, uh, the, the Kohanim, etc. Uh, and the problem is, right? again, this is Rashi already points out, right? the Puzzle says, Ela told us Aaron right? These are Aaron and Moshe's kids, right? And then it lists Aaron's kids. Right, now, if the Torah uh, Rashi asks the obvious question, right? If the Torah was just going to list Aaron's kids, it should have just said Toldos Aaron. Why does it say Toldos Aaron Umosha? So he quotes the Gemara and Sanhedrin, Gemara and Sanhedrin right? That if a teacher teaches his student Torah, right, it's, it's considered as if he gave birth to them, right? Kasher Yelado is is the is the language, right? As if he as if he raised him. So since Moshe taught Aaron's sons, right, they were also considered. Uh, Moshe's sons as well, and that's why the Torah says these are the generations of Aaron and Moshe. Problem is that, obviously, as you may be thinking, right, Aaron's sons are not the only ones who Moshe taught Torah to, right? Obviously, he taught all of Amisrael, so it really should have said before the entire census, right, at the beginning of the parsha, should have said Vela toldos Moshe, right? If that's a shot, if that's why you're telling me that Moshe is listed here, should have said these are the generations of Moshe and listed all of Amisrael because he taught them Torah, if that's what we're going with. Right, then you should have jumped into the census for Reuven Shimon, etc. So the Nativ and Eimakdavar, right, actually asks this question, not my question, right? The Nasiv asks this question, uh, and he answers by the following. He explains that a student is called his son, right? A student is called a Rebbe's son, right? Only when the student learns in depth from the Rebbe, from the teacher, right? What the Netziv calls chachmas talmud. If if a person acquires chachmas talmud the ability to, to, to learn on a deep level from his Rebbe, that's what what he calls it. That's what makes someone into a Beria chadasha, into a new creature, right? Into a new person, right? And the Tziv explains that from the majority of Am Yisrael, they didn't really reach that level, right? They only reached a, a basic level. Right, of Liman right? And only after, when they entered Eretz Yisrael, and right, they had more time to study, which is a little bit weird, because they probably had a lot of time to study in the desert, okay, but after they entered Eretz Yisrael, then they were able to get to this level of Chochmas Talmud but in the desert, right, it was more exploratory, cursory, you know, whatever you want to call it. Whereas Bnei Levi, right, underst- undertook, un- I guess undertook, understood, right? either way, they took it upon themselves, that's probably better, took it upon themselves to study it in, in more depth, and specifically the Bnei Aaron, right, were unique in their depth and their understanding and their knowledge of Torah study therefore the puzzle called them Moshe's children but then the nativ gets fancy and he points out my an unbelievable diyk fantastic diyk he said, if you if you see the puzzle if you quote the puzzle again right Elah told us Aaron and Moshe what's the end of the pasuk these are again what these are the generations of Aaron and Moshe then what is it it says beyom on the day when Moshe, Hashem spoke to Moshe on Har Sinai right Again, it, it seems to be saying that this is a list of Moshe and Aaron's kids on the day that Moshe went up to Ar-Sinai, meaning that Aaron's kids were already considered Moshe's kids on the day that Moshe went up to the mountain. The problem is that if the only reason they were considered Moshe's kids is because they attained the depth of knowledge and understanding and and Talmud that no other Jew in that generation reached, so why does the puzzle say that they reached that level on the day of Matan Torah, what do you mean on the day of Matan Torah? They couldn't possibly have gotten to that level before Moshe had gotten to that level. Moshe was just going up, he was just getting, we're just getting Kabbalah Zatora. Moshe received the Torah on that day. How could you tell me they, they could have reached such a level of understanding the day they got it? So the Nitziv explains a concept that's actually found in many places in Chazal uh, and has a tremendous impact uh, on us personally. He says that since on that day, on the day of Kabbalah Torah. The Bnei Aaron, except right? Tamar, they accepted upon themselves to learn the Torah with that depth. It was as if they had, they were not that it is, if they had learned it, but it was as if they were already considered new creations. They were already considered Moshe's sons, right? Just because they had a Kabbalah, they decided that this is what they were going to do. Right? That already gave them so already a schos to the point where they were considered to be a very Chadasha. They were considered to be a new person, uh, and as if they had already started down that path, right? And if points out that's similar to what the Gemara says about Reish Lakish, and Bav Metzia and Daf Pei He said that the moment he accepted upon himself old Torah mitzvos, right? the Gemara said that he lost his strength. A very funny story, actually. He said that he kind of jumped into the river uh, after Rabbi Yochanan, who he saw was very beautiful, and Rabbi Yochanan convinced him to learn Torah, and then he would give him his sister, who was even more beautiful. So basically, he, Rabbi Yochanan got Reish Lakish to accept Upon himself, right, that, that he was going to sit and learn Torah, even though he hadn't learned a word in his life, he was a, he was a, a thief, uh, At that moment says the Gemara he became weaker, and he couldn't then jump back out of the river because Tami the Chachamim are weakened from sitting and you know sitting and sitting and sitting and studying uh, for many hours of, of Torah study, uh, and he wasn't able to jump back out of the river. But th- but that was that's the point over here that that a person undertakes. Uh, or accept upon themselves uh, you know, the the desire, the the commitment to sit and learn, right? They become a new person uh, even before they start. Now, obviously, obviously, you have to go and do it. Right? You can't just bail on it. Uh, but you already become a new person when you make that decision even before you lift a finger. And this this idea is found in many many places in Chazal. My uh, my great Chavrusa, Josh Cantor, uh, the great uh, the great horse, uh, is fond of pointing out. Uh, Atosos and suvis and dav well, There, the gemara tells a story about Rabbi Akiva. Right? Rabbi Akiva, right? We perhaps uh, you know heard this story around serious so time. Uh Rabbi Akiva, right, the gemara says, right? Obviously, married Rochel, right? The daughter of Kalba Savu, and Kalbasavu was not happy with the shirach, and he made a Shvu, made a neder that if his daughter married uh, Rabbi Akiva, right, who was an amarit at the time, right, he knew nothing. Right, he wouldn't give them any support whatsoever. Kalbasabu, a very rich guy, wasn't going to give them any support. Meanwhile, right, Rachel had, had said to Rabbi Kiva, "I'll only marry you if you agree to study Torah." So Rabbi Kiva decided, right, to go learn. And you know, sure enough, the Gemara says that he came back 12 years later, and and Rachel would have she heard Rachel over over uh, talking to uh, someone and saying, "Oh, if we would only learn here another 12 years." And Rabbi Kiva went back to the manager. Anyway, long story short, he came back 24 years later, being uh, an adam gadol, built tremendous, tremendous talmud Right, Savu'ah, when Rabbi Kiva came back to town, Right, Savu'ah heard that a great Rav was coming. He didn't know who it was. And he went to go see him, says the Gemara, because maybe the Rav could annul the Nether that he made. Right By then, Kabul felt bad that he wasn't supporting his daughter. Again, he made a Nether not to give his daughter any money. And that's 24 years that she's living literally in poverty. So Kabul Savu'ah felt bad. He wanted to annul the Nether to uproot the Nether that he'd made. So Rabbi Kiva, who's the Rav, asked him, if you knew that the guy you swore not to support, would become a Tamil Chacham, would you have made that nether? So Kalba said, Of course not. So and Rabbi Akiva annulled the nether, and, and Kalba you know, I think it's Gemara says they gave half his possessions or something like that. Tosos there, under which you know Josh likes to quote, asks an obvious question. Now it's not obvious if you don't know anything about Allah of annulling Nadarim, which I didn't until I learned Masagas Nadarim in the Dafiyomi. But anyway. If you know anything about getting rid of nedarim, there's an obvious question. There's a rule that you can't use Nolad, something called Nolad, to uproot a nether. Basically, what that means is if something wasn't true at the time of the nether, at the time of the vow... Right? And then becomes late, true later, meaning it is bo- literally no lot means born. It was it comes true later. It was born later. If a reality happens later, you can't use that to get rid of the nether. For example, if a guy says, "I'm not giving any money to Joe Schmo," and someone says, "Well, if you had known Joe Schmo was a talmud hakham, would you have made that nether?" And the guy says, "No, of course not. Of course, I'd like to give money to talmud hakham." So then the nether is no good. But that's only true if Joe Schmo was a talmud hakham at that time. Right? Not if he became a talmud hakham thirty years later, for twenty-five years later. So how does it in the world does that work to get rid of Kalba Savu's nether? Right? You can't get rid of the nether if the reality was that the guy in question wasn't Amaretz, knew nothing. Right? If you're telling me that, oh, you wouldn't have given him, him the money if he, he was a Talmud Chacham, he wasn't a Talmud Chacham at the time. Well, it doesn't help that he became a Talmud Chacham later. So Tosu's first answer is, is bec- and this is exactly our idea, is that because by then Rabbi Kiva had already decided to go to Yeshiva. Right, he had already decided to go and learn, even though he was literally not right, he hadn't learned Aleph Beis yet. Right. It, it, since at that time he decided to go learn Aleph Beis, it was if he was already considered a new person on the way to become a Talmakam, right? Tosos' language is Kevin Shahalach right? Since he had already gone on the way to the base Medrash, to Derechu Beholeh Gadol. He was on the way to becoming Adam right we see this elsewhere we see this elsewhere the girl mentions that by Rus right again she was coming up in a week Rus, the moment Rus decided to go back to with Nami the pa, Pazik says ki and Nami saw that she was tired she was exhausted from from persisting and staying with her mother-in-law but but the but the girl says that that's at that point she already became Right, a new person, all right. She had already decided to be, to convert to be, to become from right. Similar to racial Agish, since she had already become tired, she had already become you know considered as if uh, a Bari chadasha. I saw Rabbi Ari Waxman points out that Rabbi Yona writes in Shari Tshuva and in Sharsheni, right, a similar idea that a person that accepts upon himself with with the you know really accepts upon himself to be shomer Torah right uh, so uh he has and he has that ability his language is right on that day he has the scar of fulfilling all the mitzvos sure shama Torah that I heard from uh, from from torah now in hinemi right we have to right we have to go and do it right there's no yes you get a certain amount of scar from making the decision but, and we have to then fulfill and follow through, but this is not still an unbelievable message, right? We always look, right, at a piece of learning, a piece of Torah, mitzvos, right? A mesecta, a peric, a seder, right? Shas, right? is something so big, so overwhelming, right? Okay. For, for those who do defyomi, so the mystique of conquering Shas is a little bit, right? It's been knocked down a little bit, just a little, right? But for the rest of us, right? If learning the entire whatever you're dealing with, right, is too daunting. So this message says, don't worry, right? And definitely don't give up. Right? You're already considered to be a type of adam gadol, right? If you've just decided to start, right? And now obviously, you have to still go do it, but you still get tremendous kav for starting, right? That's a tremendous risk, right? For anybody who's struggling to get their learning off the ground, or even if you, you've started and you're kind of like uh, you know middling in low gear, right, waiting waiting to take off, and this is a tremendous message for people as we head into shavuos. Because uh, to be totally honest, I, I hear all the time that you know, sh- you know, we hear the shmoozes, shavuos our own personal kabbalah Torah, a reenactment of Har Sinai, the power to transform your Torah, it's the, it's the day we're judged for ruchnius. Blah blah blah. But I hear all the time. People say to me all the time, it's hard to not to feel underwhelmed by the amount of learning that we do or the quality of the learning that we do. Right? It's late we're tired, the AC isn't blowing strong enough, the AC is blowing too hard, right, the coffee's lousy, I had flight shakes. So I can't have milk, uh, the basement is just noisy. But by 2, 3 a.m., right, those eyes start getting very heavy. And it's, frankly, it's easy to feel a little un- underwhelmed, maybe even feel badly, right, that you didn't necessarily accomplish either as much as you wanted or as much as other people. But again, realize, realize what, the, what we just said, right? I didn't really highlight it because I wanted to make this point. What is shavuos? Shavuos is... Our very own personal Kabbalah Satora, right? What's Kabbalah Satora? What does that mean, right? We it means we accept upon ourselves the Torah. We accept that we make a commitment. We have a Kabbalah. We make. We make a commitment for the future, right? Just like our own sons in the night of Maimon Ar-Sinai, where right? the goal here is not to learn as much as you can on Shavuos night. Obviously, you should if you can, right? Obviously, it's very valuable. But the, this is about making kabbalos, about accepting upon yourself to renew and reinforce and whatever, or every any word you want to insert, right? your relationship with Limeon HaTorah, to be mechazik yourself and, and kind of redouble our efforts. Now you don't have to feel bad if you're exhausted at 2 a.m., right? If you're making a concerned effort, Right, to kind of reinvigorate your lima Torah tonight, and then making it a, a, a Kabbalah to and accept, accept upon yourself to kind of reinforce it the rest of the year, that's who you're shooting for, right? And maybe that's one of the reasons why we read Bamidbar uh, before Shavuos, right, to show that it's it's the Kabbalah, it's the, you can become an Adam Godal, right, by deciding to undertake something, and then obviously accomplishing it, but the decision, already at the moment of the decision, you're ready to become an Adam Godal. Another reason we read Bamidbar before Shavuos, and this is along the same lines, is uh the following. Possibly says at the beginning of the parsha, Su esrosh called As Yisrael, etc. etc. Right, Osam, Osam, Atav, Yaron, Right, okay, basically the, the, the Torah uses the phrase that we have already seen in Parsh Kisisa, Su es Rosh b'nei Yisrael, right? Count the heads uh of, of the entire nation. Rashi explains that the reason the Kosh Borku counted Yisrael, right, was because of his love for them, right? Again, pretty well known. Rashi, like a collector who collects Right, his, uh, his collector items or whatever, and he counts them all the time to make sure there's nothing missing. Right, so to a Boruch and points out Rav Melech, Rav Melech Peterman points out the Chazal right, all over the place, uh, Chadish Arim, etc. Point out that the counting was to show us that each and every one of us has a chashivos uh, to Akash Hu. Right, each and you only get to six hundred thousand if you have a bunch of individual people. Right, if you're missing someone from the six hundred thousand, so then that the six hundred thousand is lacking. Right, uh, uh, you know, the entire sefer is called. Right, the entire sefer Melech points out is called Chumash Bikudim, Right, the 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 Chumash of counting. Right, since B'nai counted twice. Right, once at the beginning, once at the end. Now, you might have thought that the reason that Gosh Baruch Hu counts us at the end of the sefer, why did Hashem count B'nai at the end of the sefer? Right, what happened? There was a whole laundry list of sins. Right, there was a plague after plague. Right, and after the plague of the Bnei Midyan, etc., Bnei Ma'av, etc. And Baruch, Hu, maybe Akosh Baruch Hu wanted to. You would think that Hashem wanted to show how little are left of all the plagues. Nope. Not exact. not at all. It's to show how much Kosh Baruch loves each and every single one of us, right? So he counts not not once but twice and really three times if you count right in Kisiza to show that every Jew is precious, every Jew is valuable. That's su es Rosh, right? Count the Rosh called Aspen Israel. Everyone is a Rosh, everyone right is, is ahead. And it explains Ramosha Feinstein in Darish Moshe, right? And on and in Shavuos. right? He that's why Chazal said we should read Bamibar before Shavuos. right? It says Ramosha Moshe says to counteract those who have sadas, those who have. Like we just explained, right? Those who think that their Torah learning isn't important because they're not going to reach this level or that level, or because they won't end up accomplishing this or that. First of all, you can accomplish that, and you will reach that level. Now, you don't really know your own strength, but aside from that, even if your your goal, theor- if okay, any kanami, yes, you're you're right in a sense that not everybody is going to be the next Rav Chaim Kanievsky. Fine, but still, each person is still supremely valuable to our Kosh Baruch Right? Your Torah learning, not mine, not Rav Chaim's, Aleve Shalom. Right, not not, not the godol doors, whoever it is, you can debate that from now until so your Torah learning. Right, I can't accomplish your Torah learning. The godol of the generation can't accomplish your Torah learning. I can't learn Torah like you can. Only you can learn Torah like you can. Right, and therefore your your learning is inherently valuable to Kach Baruch Hu. That's why it says Ramosha, It says Su, right, lift up, right, that uh, to show that every single person right is raised right, in the counting, right, each on on their own level, right, each person realizes that they're valuable enough to be counted the same as every other Jew, right, again, when you count 600,000 Jews, right, it's, it's me, and you, and Rav Chaim, well, and, and, and was Rav Chaim, and, and let's say Rav Gershon Edelstein, and Rav I and mean, all those people are individuals, and if you take me away from the count, or you away from the count, or Rav Asher away from the count, so the count is lacking exactly the same, Right, the count, the numbers go down exactly the same. Right, every Jew is a chiluk of of the six hundred thousand or however many Jews there are in the count. Right? And if one person is lacking, the entire klal right, is lacking. Right, Rav Melech points out that this is the Chiddusha Rim says this is why B'nai Yisrael are compared to stars because even though from uh, a large, from a distance, right, the stars look like they're insignificant and they're just a ton of them and you know you can't count them. Okay, fine, you can't count them, but they're all these tiny little things. Up close, right, all the stars are enormous, powerful balls of energy right, that's each and every one of us, right, we all think that we're really tiny, and we're really small, and really insignificant, but really, we have a tremendous amount of so a tremendous tremendous amount of energy that we only begin uh, to understand, so that's the approach that we should have uh, coming up on Matan Torah, that's the approach that we should use, right, to kind of prepare ourselves this week from Parshat Bamidbar on, uh, may, may we all be Zoka to a tremendous Kabbalah the uh, and, and tremendous Shabbos.